All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. G'day guys, welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast with another special episode uh, with my brother for Bro Science, sorting fact from fiction. We've got a very, very special guest today, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass over to my co-host, my brother, who is going to say hello and introduce our guest for today. Thanks, Travis. Very exciting to be back here, and it's uh, it's an awesome episode we've got for you today. We're really lucky to have a great uh, guest who we've been able to tee up and and uh, and find some time. We've all got young children, so there's been a little bit of uh, balancing and coordinating to get us all here on the on the same time. But it's it's uh, it's all it's all come together. Um, so joining us, we have Alicia Edge. She is an advanced sports dietitian. Um, she's the current co-founder of Compete Nutrition, which is a uh, a tech startup, a new way of looking at providing uh, dietitian advice to anyone who's after it, uh, and uh, continues to do her work uh, as the uh, supporting dietitian for the Matildas at the moment. So uh, we're really lucky to have a great guest who's going to join us to get a bit of an introduction to all things around sort of nutrition and, and where, a, where a dietitian might, might fit in and, and maybe tackle a few common things as we sort of continue on our efforts to sort a bit of fact from fiction in the fitness industry. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you guys for hosting. Really excited for this chat. So the first thing, Alicia, mm. what, what we want to chat about, most of our audience are fitness professionals. Um, so, you know, personal trainers and, and you know, strength and conditioning coaches, that sort of stuff. Awesome. What, what I'd like to start with is the role that a dietitian plays and um, this could be on a few factors, A, within, you know, just general population, B, for, say, a personal trainer for their clients, or even C, your role with the Matildas, you know, like, where, where does a dietitian sit and, and what are some of the things that, you know, some of the the decisions and some of the influences you might have? Yeah, I think traditionally where dietitians are thought to sit are very much in that reactive role where we might be referred to or used for body composition change or injury or whatever it may be. Um, we are often seen as that person to go to if, you know, you need to lose weight. And that's what we're trying to get away from. Um, so we're wanting to really remove that food police kind of identity that I think many people have around dietetics. Um we are very much around um, a couple of different aspects. So our role within the general population and also elite you know, professional athletes doesn't change all that much in terms of what we do first. And that's always aligned to getting to know that person first, which I find that PT, SNC are very good at in terms of giving me handover around who this person is, where they're currently at, what they're struggling with, but also what they've been through previously when it comes to nutrition pressures weight pressures and any disordered eating behaviors as well so one of the biggest things we do work on and such a key part of our role is working alongside um, 
a support network around this person um, to set up a really good foundation of relationship with food um, to then be able to do the fun stuff when it comes to performance. So we find that those we work with are almost on two ends. We might have someone coming to us to improve, um, you know, disordered eating, eating disorder uh, and recovery through that. And we've also got all the way down to that, you know, performance focus where they might have a really good foundation with their food and they're ready for those next level things like um, event nutrition alongside, um, you know, supplement use, timing, periodization with their training program, all those types of things. And then, you know, um, they go in between and around that over a lifetime where they might graduate from needing us, but then have a new goal or have something else pop up in terms of um, needing of help. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. One thing I just, because we've spoken about allied health a fair bit um, mm. in the past and in the PT space, we, you know, we, we talk about building a good network of allied health. And one thing you mentioned there was like the handover from PTs is typically pretty good. Uh, I've asked Craig this question in regards to what a GP might want. And we've actually asked, um, you know, one of our previous guests who's a physio, what they might want as a dietitian. If someone's been recommended to you from a, a PT, what sort of information would you like to receive? Or would you just like to, to have the person come in cold? Or what is the sort of information that you'd want to, you want to hear? Yeah, I love this question because there's no right or wrong when it comes to a referral. I think the biggest piece we need to get to is um, PTs and SNCs being comfortable with referral. Um, and I still feel like there's lots of um, opportunities there to grow that in navigating, you know, when to refer, when am I out of scope. It's a really blurry line, right, because we all eat. We've got incredible access to these clients, um, particularly in the PT space where conversations around food just happen mm -hmm. um, and they happen without you necessarily being able to navigate or control that conversation. And also it is a fair bit of friction to refer on. Um, so when we gain a referral, I'll give you an example of an excellent referral I had last week because it just went to show how much this person cared for their client, but also appreciated all the influences that were happening on their food. So when it comes to a nutrition referral, it's really important to know what the goals are in terms of that team, but it's even more so important to know about anything that they've noticed or are concerned by or anything, you know, in their life that's preventing them from being that person that they want to become uh, or triggers they've had in the past. Um, so often when we gain a referral, it, it could be a performance focus or it could be um, a disordered eating concern or um, gut upset and all those types of things to navigate but the first thing we want to do is actually go, you might be here for performance, but they may we may not actually be able to do that yet. So let's actually re review where you are in terms of relationship with food, where you are in terms of environment. If you're actually in a point of being able to change right now or have capacity to change or even acknowledge that you need to change, and then that navigates what we need to do and how our approach might change. And so any information you have about your client in all those discussions you have with your clients are extremely helpful. So they're often not food related. Um, and that's actually what allows us to meet that person where they're at to create change that's actually relevant to them. Yeah, perfect. So just really a, a good base level of that client's relationship with, with food or, or what their what their particular goal is, is sort of the stuff that you'd be you'd be looking for. Yeah, 100%. So, Craig, I'm going to throw over to you. What have you got? Yeah, so um, it's been really interesting. I've, I've started to try to work in a little bit more in the dietetic space as much as possible. I've only got a very, um, a very small understanding 
uh, and experience. And I've been hopefully trying to trying to point that out as we've had different discussions. We recently recorded an episode all around supplements, and I, and I sort of highlighted that um, whilst there's always this caveat to the end of most conversations, you know, go and see your doctor for for more advice. You know, we know a little bit about a lot, but it's uh, it's really important that we've got uh, experts like yourself who know a, a lot about a specific thing. Um, and one of the things that I see in the, in the different environments and, and the stuff that I've discussed with um, uh, one of uh, a, a mutual friend who works in the sort of uh, sports dietitian phase is is um, is the discussion with uh, the, the the common things we see from from the populations that we work with. So I work in a bit of a, a military environment a lot of the time, so we've got a lot of uh, uh, sort of young, uh, mostly male sort of people who who often come. Uh, with with a lot of preconceptions and a lot of different ideas, and and one of the things that uh, was mentioned to me is it was quite a surprise how much sort of um, you know fad dieting was sort of going on within those populations, and you know a lot of them talking about going on to sort of you know different sort of cleansers and doing different sort of short programs, and 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 a lot of the time it's just trying to give people a bit of an, an understanding about uh, about what role these may or may not have. Uh, and, and give them that little bit of a foundational understanding of, you know, the importance of food and, and you know, the difference between a, a healthy lifestyle and a diet and, and, and how that will shape them towards their goals. Do you, do you find a similar sort of situation in terms of uh, educating the masses and, and just providing that sort of uh, the basic information of, you know, what you might be seeing on the front of a, on the front of a magazine or in, in, the, in the media versus what, uh, what realistically people should be looking towards? Yeah, I do a lot of firefighting, (laughs) a lot. I I often describe my job as doing a lot of spot fires a lot of the time, particularly when we start working with a new squad or a new set of athlete, um, we're doing a lot of myth busting um, and we're breaking down a lot of um, preconceived ideas, a lot of diet culture. um, And that's where I definitely mean like, you know, there's no point in trying to fix and change everything all at once. Um, because it's going to end quite quickly <laughs> um, and there's going to be way too much friction involved as well. I think if everyone thinks around those, you know, extreme diets or, you know, aiming for restriction, the human hates restriction and depletion and it doesn't actually fit how we need to live our life when we're thinking about all the aspects of what makes us healthy. Um, I think often when we look at the front cover or we see a lot of imagery on social media now as well, we see the you know, image of health being extremely shredded in everyone's language um, and ripped and all those types of things. And it's always about, you know, getting lean. However, if we're looking actually at how health is, and I don't think this is talked about enough in the male space in particular, health isn't just our physical, it's also our mental, our social, our financial, our environmental, all these different aspects we need to actually consider when we're changing Mm. in particular our nutrition or, you know, picking up new training and all those types of things. And if we're considering, okay, well, I want to try this new diet, it is really important to reflect, you know, even just briefly going, okay, well, what does that actually mean for how I'm going to feel mentally? How is this going to fit into how I am currently, you know, socially? Um, Am I going to be able to do this for a significant amount of time or for the time it actually needs without me being, you know, in a really big state of distraction, obsession? Um, Is it going to impact my ability to concentrate, to focus, to make decisions? Um, Am I going to be able to get through my training sessions? You know, all these types of things are impacted by that place of restriction and depletion. Um, and so 
guys look look fancy, right? They look shiny. They're exciting. They're new. You can start to identify as doing it. Um, it definitely talks to the human need for belonging um, and purpose, um, but it also can be um, something that really impacts our our well-being in the fullest sense of the word um, where we might be aiming for weight loss but it's coming at the cost of all the things we probably wanted weight loss for in the first place yeah a couple of interesting things you mentioned there's one that uh that image of of health and and Mm -hmm. uh, i i mean i'm not i'm not familiar with bodybuilding much at all um Mm -hmm. but i do know that when they're typically due to step on stage they're probably at their weakest and most unhealthy state at that point and struggling and and I suppose my my more more knowledge around that side of things is is people doing weight cutting for like MMA or jujitsu and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and watching people who've cut uh, way too much weight and uh, looking pretty atrocious. You know, they're, they're walking around looking like ghosts and pale skin and the chapped dry lips, and you know, spending their times in the saunas and all that sort of fun stuff that people do to try and get into a lower weight class. You know, and when they get on the scales, they look the probably the most physically fit. They uh they they do at any particular point because they've got as little water in their system and as little mm. um you know they look as shredded as possible. But mm. sometimes they're literally getting held up to walk on and step on those scales, you know. So it's it's very interesting that 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 message is not understood by a lot of people. It's still like you said, it's you see it on the front cover in the magazines. Like, hey, like that's not only is there the airbrushing and the lighting and the this and the that. That person has specifically dieted for that particular event, and then mm. it's probably not like you said. What else have they given up to get to that particular state? Yeah, and, and one thing we review a lot is actually um, this concept called relative energy deficiency. It's called relative energy deficiency in sport, but I always leave the sport bit off because I think people are like, "Oh, well, I'm not an athlete, so it mustn't relate to me." But in reality, it's basically when people don't meet their cost of training, any training that you're doing over the day and energy needs over the day to then also meet the cost of what your body needs for the optimal processes of gut function, um, sex hormones, alongside being able to function with brain energy levels and all these types of things. And what we find is that REDS, which is the relative energy deficiency is, um, present in all different areas, whether that is, um, in the elite athlete all the way down to the active individual, If we're going on extreme diets or going in the place of ongoing restriction, there's going to be a cost to our overall basal metabolic rate. And what that means is that we've got a set amount of energy that our body needs to function each day optimally at like full power mode on your mobile phone, basically, where all the apps are working. They're always checking all the things uh, and it's doing what it needs. However, if we're using up most of the energy that we need per day in our training, because, hey, we're going to keep training at the cost of what our body needs, it's going to dim that switch. It's going to go into low power mode. And so if you think of what that means on your mobile phone, it stops checking all the apps. It starts to really make sure that it's um, not covering, it's not using more energy than it needs to, to last as long as it can. And this isn't survival mode, but it is a metabolic adaptation that happens. And so that dimmer switch impacts our sex hormones in particular. So we'll see a depletion in testosterone. You won't always see testosterone levels that are considered low if you have a blood test, but they would be lower than your normal. So things you want to be aware of there, particularly because your audience is so male focused, are things like a drop in your libido as you would rate it as your normal, um, a loss of um, morning erectile function, uh, and also just being aware that that is a symptom of not meeting your energy needs. 
Uh, it's one of the big things that we work with all our male athletes on and actually normalizing that conversation as well. So the other thing just to touch on there was mm. um, with people who sp- who have those really low energy diets for a period of mm. time, one thing I have heard is that they just, like you mentioned, that switch goes off and they sort of go into autopilot. So your body naturally, like if you're naturally more fidgety and active during the day, all of a sudden that neat, that sort of, you know, yeah. neat activity drops to nothing because your yeah. body's like, nah, no more. Yeah, like um, your face will be just like this because yeah. it doesn't even show emotion <laughs> because it's just trying to save energy. You won't fidget. You'll probably do less. You you won't be likely to get off the lounge per se. You'll just be in this mm. state of um, lowering that metabolic rate through that, you know, exercise that happens usually just through movement and fidget and, you know, emotion um, alongside, you know, getting gut upset, um, being completely clouded in um, decision-making, feeling very fatigued, flat battery kind of feel as well. So uh, there's a number of different things that we um, look at and monitor for. And it's not always food-related, but it does tend to allow for bigger and more value-aligned nutrition conversations to go, you know, this isn't just impacting you and also it ne- it's also going to be impacting bone health because a disruption in sex hormone means that we are leaching things from the bone and, um, you know, the risk of stress fractures alongside um, osteopenia very early on in life are increased. And that gets talked about all the time in females because they've got a menstrual cycle that pauses and it's very clear and obvious. But in males, it tends to not get talked about and it, it's a thing and it's it's both males and females. Yeah, and one of the things I heard there was, and and I think this can can happen with people who sort of start a regime of exercise, oh. is mm. that they all of a sudden they started exercising and they're now you know burning that extra five hundred calories a day. But not only did they start burning their extra five hundred calories a day, they've also dropped their diet from you know whatever it was three thousand to fifteen hundred. So they've cut mm. their calories by fifty percent. Plus yeah. they're burning an extra five hundred calorie. You know, like and then that leads into all these other issues as well. That's spot on. And people are always like, but if, but if I don't eat 1500 calories or whatever it may be, how do I lose weight? You can mm-hmm. absolutely still achieve a calorie deficit without having to eat below your basal metabolic rate. So for the average guy, your basal metabolic rate, which is the minimum you would need per day, even you, if you were just to sleep all day. So it's not counting walking upstairs to the office. It's not counting, you know, getting off the lounge. It's literally sleeping all day the average is around that 1800 calorie mark. So if you're a guy eating less than 1800 calories, there's no way you're covering the cost of what your body needs alongside what you're doing each day plus training. Um, But what we find in all the messaging when it comes to nutrition and dieting is it's normalized to have a 1200 to 1500 calorie diet. That's what you need to do if you need to lose weight. But all we're doing is actually allowing for a metabolic adaptation to happen making weight loss harder, but also making it much harder to stick to and leading to disordered eating behaviors such as binge eating or feeling completely out of control or feeling shame and guilt around food as well. And so we're almost setting ourselves up for failure through diet culture rather than going, it's okay to have a body composition goal, but there's a much better way to do it, which doesn't risk your um, relationship with food and body at the same time. Yeah, perfect. Mm. It's a, it's, it's a crazy balance, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, we're, we're looking at um, not only are you going to have this uh, metabolic drop, so you're actually mm. burning less energy. So all of a sudden, um, your ability to you know, burn fat or burn energy drops away. Um, you, you get this massive reflex of, of appetite increased as well. So, yeah. um, you know, one of the, one of the big things, uh, you know, that I, I, me and Travis have discussed this before, and we've talked about a bit of 
Um, you know, talking about diet and lifestyle and, you know, the, the key is not to, you know, when we're talking about a diet, it's, it's really your diet and lifestyle, not a 12 week diet or a six week diet. Yeah. And the one that, the one that is most suited to the individual is the one that they can stick to. And yeah. so 100%, you can't, you can't live in a constant state of being under fuel because one, you're going to feel horrible too. You're going to have a, a reflexive um, surge in appetite. So all of a sudden, um, you know, once that six weeks ends, you, that, that period ends, if your metabolic rate still doesn't pick back up and your appetite is over the top, that's why we see these, these massive sort of yo-yo rebounds in, in weight gain. And all of a sudden that, that uh, best intentions of a, of a short-term, you know, mm-hmm. focused goal leave someone behind where they started and, and, you know, further away from what they're trying to achieve. Um, and one other interesting thing I thought I'd, I'd point out is I was, I was listening to a few other things and it's funny how the analogies have gone from, uh, you know, car engines and how much fuel you need to talking about uh, smartphones and their and their battery <laughs> yeah. car and app usage, I was like, oh, how, how far we've come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got, like, it is really good to see some energy deficiency conversations happening in mainstream. Um, you know, I, I would be lying if I get frustrated, if I don't, didn't get frustrated at, um, you know, a lot of boundaries being crossed there in terms of who is talking about that and who is treating that. Uh, it is extremely, it's very much a clinical um, condition that needs individualized support because we don't actually know what's caused that energy deficiency and that's where that line gets blurry between when can we give nutrition information as a pt or snc and when do we need to refer on and as a pt snc you absolutely can give nutrition guidance and information that is aligned to that person's well-being in terms of you know the the opportunity to eat you know, a range of food, diversity, color. The Eat for Health website is the uh, official line. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But at the same time, I I can appreciate how frustrating that is because it's so vanilla and it's so like, you know, it's not behavior focused. It's Mm. very much, you know, all the stuff that they probably already know. And that's the key there, right? People don't necessarily fall off their chair if we tell them they need to eat more veggies. There's a reason why they're not doing it. And when you're looking at the audience, 3% of Australian men eat enough fruit and veggies each day. Like, wow. Like there's stuff that we can be doing, which is way less fancy and way less extreme. And by focusing what people need to, you know, what you can have more of, what you can add into your day, rather than this continuous talk of what you shouldn't have, what you can't have, what you need to eat less of. And, um, yeah, there's some really big opportunities that I feel, you know, PTs and SNCs can absolutely include in their conversation that aren't around you know, tracking that aren't around, you know, all those types of things that we tend to lead to, to go, oh, you need to be in a deficit. Hmm. There's stuff that we can actually, yeah, sorry, go. It's funny you say that because the conversation that I've always had with people is I, I always go on the approach of don't tell them to take away things. Tell them to put in things. So tell them to put in that cup of veggies at lunch and that cup of veggies at dinner time. Tell them to put in the water before they start eating and then the water after they've finished their first plate. Tell them to start using a, a slightly smaller plate. Tell them to go, okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna put this on the plate. I'm going to put a little bit back, make sure I have some water afterwards. Um, tell them to increase their, their protein on the meal. Like tell them to add like that little bit of extra protein there instead of the... the the, the extra, you know, pasta or the extra whatever it might be that that's filling up that plate that, you know, so I always go on the approach of ask them to add things into their diet rather than to take things away because I think that's a, yeah, rather than say, well, you can't have your ice cream and you can't do this and you can't do that. You can't, you know, like, okay, well, let's let's see what you can add in and, and make those changes that way. 
Mm. We, we have, as humans, we are adults, we have permission to eat all foods. There isn't a morality on food. You, you know, there isn't a good or bad where you're good if you eat this, you're bad if you eat that. Because as soon as we set a morality, as soon as we have this black and white option, which I think most of us were grown up with, um, most of our parents would have been well and truly in the thick of diet culture and they did absolutely the best with the best intentions growing up. But, you know, we were rewarded for eating everything on our plate. We were um, given, you know, dessert as, you know, that bad food, but that reward food. We um, were set up with comfort eating and comfort eating while I'm there, totally normal human behavior. Um, There's a very big difference between comfort eating and binge eating. And we can discuss that if we need to. But um, the the biggest thing there is, is that we were brought up with a good or bad mentality around food. And so when we eat a food that we have deemed in our minds bad, we will absolutely put ourselves through that guilt or shame or we haven't given ourselves full permission to eat and enjoy that food. Um, And so as soon as we start to have an abundance mindset when it comes to food where we actually can and do have permission to have all food if we really want it, but do I really want it? Mm. That's a really powerful question to ask yourself because, okay, I've given myself permission, say, to have that chocolate at night time. Is that what I need right now? Is that what um, is going to, you know, help me feel good mentally, socially, you know, physically as well? Um, and if the answer is a heck yes, then heck yes. But make sure you enjoy that chocolate and actually be in the moment with that because that is what's going to fuel a really healthy relationship with food. It's not that simple. It takes a lot of time to give yourself full permission to eat food, particularly with all the messaging around. Um, but you may actually find by going, oh, um, you know, I can absolutely have that Macca's when I'm driving past it. Is that what I need right now? Is that what I actually am going to enjoy? And is that what's going to make me feel good after? And for some periods of time, it will actually be a yes. But a lot of the time by actually giving yourself permission and allowing yourself to say no, it's a very powerful place to be in is that abundance around food and removing that restriction. And we work a lot on it. So like in many ways, we're like the opposite of food police and do a lot of permission to then be able to get that solid relationship with food. That's um, something that I've heard on the American Glutton podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I haven't. No. So the American Glutton podcast is by a guy called Ethan Suplee, uh, who is actor from American History X. My name is Earl. Yes. Um, has gone on to lose, I think it's like 400 pounds, so which is what, 180 kilos or something like that. Uh, big buff dude now and, and a lot of the same messaging there. So I always recommend it a lot. So American Glutton. And anytime he's talking with a guy called Mike Isratel, I really like those conversations. Um, and exactly what you're talking about there is what he talks about. And as a guy... As someone who had lost so much weight, it's very interesting that the messaging that he said was almost word for word what you just said then, like mm-hmm. word for word. And it's very mm-hmm. interesting that someone who had lost all that weight was saying the morality around food is is part of the issue and because people say there's this good, bad, good food and bad food and that just puts this extra stress and pressure on people who are looking to lose weight. So that's, that's a really interesting message. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. 
Oh, it's it's really uncomfortable to be fair. It's very it sounds counterintuitive. And most of most will have the reaction of like, oh my God, if I gave myself permission to eat everything, I would eat everything. Mm. Um, but if that's happening, you're probably not quite there with the permission piece. Um, and you know, I think we're always in a bit of a mess. And I I always have that like thing, like there's going to be a point where we've got to embrace that mess when it comes to how we feel about our body, how we feel about food. Um, we've got so many different things getting thrown at us and a very big different, um, you know, history with food and depending on the family home alongside different trauma impacting how we um, approach food and think about food and even have capacity to make food decision. And so it isn't, black and white there isn't this really simple well just being a calorie deficit and i think at this point it's really important to probably point out that um it's not always about weight loss um particularly in the male space a lot of disordered eating goes unknown or underdiagnosed because it presents differently um when you're looking at body dysmorphia um it's a concern around weight but it's actually usually around um, not being big enough or not being ripped enough or defined enough. And, um, and so it often goes unnoticed because it's not around weight loss or restriction. It's actually, you know, obsession, obsessing around macros, calorie tracking, um, not losing weight. You know, there's differing things there um, where there's food fear and also disordered eating behaviors that don't line up with, you know, what would necessarily be usually defined as eating disorder when you're looking at the, you know, white teenage female. Yeah. Another one that comes to mind there is uh, Daniel Johns from Silverchair, who's sort of yeah. in the media a bit at the moment. Mm. Uh, he he sort of speaks openly about dealing with mm. a lot of disordered eating growing up in, in um, you know, I suppose in the public spotlight as a, as a young yeah. guy as well. So yeah. a lot of really interesting things there. One, um, one thing I want to go back to uh, probably a couple of minutes ago now was when, when we spoke about putting out all the fires and all that sort yeah. of stuff that you said that you're doing in your job. What a... What are these? What are some of these common myths or these common um, spot fires that you're putting out? Like, what are we? What are some of the things we're looking at? Yeah, uh, it's often um, related to recent Netflix documentaries or um, <laughs> popular things on social media. It's good for business, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and more recently, probably a lot of stuff on TikTok. Um, so very, very much um, influenced by small, quick... People dancing, telling you what to eat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of um, counting of calories, what I eat in a day. Um, there's lots of new supplements coming out, particularly on TikTok, promising the world. Um, so a lot of the time I'm trying to save people money, trying to get them to understand there's like a decision tree when it comes to supplements and there may not actually be proof. Um, alongside getting on top of hopefully some of the disordered eating um, behaviors when they're early on before they enter an eating disorder because a lot of disordered eating behaviors are normalized so anything to do with um you know preventing yourself or having issues with eating out socially or flexibly with food um, tend to be our first calling cards when it comes to disordered eating. So mm. particularly when I'm seeing those in our elite athletes all the way to, um, you know, our active individuals, if someone is feeling, you know, unsure about eating food that someone else has made or is feeling like they can't be trusted around food or can't eat out without anxiety or stress because they can't control the menu or they don't know what to choose that fits their macros, then, I start to have some red flags and then that basically escalates from there from those being the early signs often not always but often into that restriction um missing of meals um all of those types of things as well so yeah a lot of fires but 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it sort of is very much a balance. And I guess it's probably important to point out, you know, while we, um, especially in my military environment, I deal with a lot of, a lot of males. You know, Travis in the in the PT world is is a mix of all ages and, and all genders. So we see um, he you know sees a bit of everything. Um, I guess a few other things that I, I wanted to point out is really interesting that we um we talk about the you know scope of who can talk about what in terms of dietary stuff and um the irony being that me as a gp probably has a has a blank check to talk about whatever i want which is quite ironic because a lot of the times we have probably significantly less understanding around a lot of this stuff than potentially the pt and strength and conditioning community i'm lucky in that um uh, you know i did a semester subject on sports nutrition so i've got a little bit of an understanding um it probably spent a lot of time teaching me how to um, prescribe a diet to someone who wants to run an ultra marathon, but the general concepts were, were quite good. So it gives gives you a little bit of a grounding. But um, it is great to know where where to go to find that to find that information. Um, one of the other really interesting things that you sort of touched on about uh, you know what people are being targeted with, and and it, it rolls very well into a recent episode that me and Travis have um, have uh, have recorded around. Um, supplements and supplement use and we actually went in and did a quite a good introduction well subjectively quite a good introduction Um, you're not biased at all it's fine (laughs) not biased yeah yeah. those two guys knew what they were talking about we we went in and we explored the AIS framework Mm. and and had a look at at what that sort of talked about um and you know provided the hopefully a little bit of the the foundational advice that you know supplements are uh, the very small percentage percentage piece on top of what needs to be a strong foundation, um, you know, and I guess I'll, I'll just sort of pass over to you just to reaffirm that point or completely correct where we're <laughs> yeah, no, off. No, I won't ruin your <laughs> podcast episode, don't worry. Um, do do yeah. we all need to be taking supplements, you know? Should we all be jumping on the next TikTok trend? And Oh, yeah, for followers, <laughs> a bit of influence. Well, I was very fortunate to work at the AIS for a few years, so I um, adore that framework. It was um, made out of a very big need of saying, well, people are going to take supplements anyway, right? We can't go in going, just don't take supplements because first of all, that doesn't talk to the athlete or person at all. And we need to appreciate that some supplements actually do have some value and efficacy for use. Um, And so the framework was created to help just navigate, but also simplify that decision-making process. And it was recently um, redone and relaunched, which they've done a really good job at starting to weigh up those different things when it comes to supplement use. Um, If you're looking at supplements, a really easy little decision tree you can make is um, really considering, well, first of all, is it legal and is it safe? And if the answer is no, or you don't know yet and you need to talk to someone else, go do that Um, because you cannot trust, you know, the people selling it to you. You cannot trust just because it's on a shelf, then it must be okay. Um, The supplement industry is extremely unregulated. Like I cannot stress enough that if you wanted to start a supplement company and you're a police officer or you are someone off the street just going, oh, I take supplements, you could start one. Like the, it's honestly like one of those jokes where you have like a police officer or someone else come into a bar and it's like, this is what the supplement industry is. And so you don't actually know what's in those supplements and you also don't actually know how it's regulated. You know, we've got, I had a supplement company approach me going, oh, I'm thinking about creating this supplement. And, you know, I read this blog and that said to do this. I was like, oh, you read a blog and now you've designed a supplement. Oh, good. And so, you know, I can't, yeah, like don't trust just because it's got an amazing packet or someone you follow is taking it. 
that it's worth your money. Um, extremely expensive. So first of all, assess, you know, is it legal and is it safe? Um, and if you're not sure, reach out to someone that does know that where, um, you know, a sports doctor, GP, um, sports dietitian, and often SNC coaches are quite good there. Um, and then consider, okay, well, if it is safe and if it is legal, does it actually work? Um, and that's a harder one to work out, right? Because it's unregulated, there's a lot of claims that are made on supplements uh, and there's a lot of things that you'll hear and be marketed to. Um, so just know when you go in to go, does it actually work? It probably doesn't. There's very few that actually work. When I worked at the AIS and we do a tour through the AIS sports nutrition department, I go take them into our little sup cupboard and it was literally a little sup cupboard. And then people would be like, is this it? And it's like, yeah, there's very few supplements that we would need or need to use or have the evidence behind them to use. And you would have seen that when you went through that framework where group A is actually quite small. It's very much sports foods. It's very much the unfancy stuff of sports drinks or gels and the logistical stuff rather than the hardcore supplements. Uh, and then group B might be some of the things that we would have played with or would have been navigating back then. But yeah, it, it was it's quite minute. So I would recommend absolutely looking at group A, group B. You can get more information on um, the website really freely. It's, it's such an incredible resource. Um, and then also once you've gone, okay, well, is it, does it work? Yeah. Do I actually need it? So that last question of, okay, it might work, but is it the right thing for me, my sport, um, what I'm currently doing with food? Is that, you know, am I nailing my food, my hydration, my timing? And is it the right timing for me to actually really decide on that supplement? So first of all, is it legal? Is it safe? Does it work? Do I need it? Hmm. They're like your four questions and you kind of go down. And if anyone's no, then you kind of just stop right there. <laughs> um, but when it comes to supplements, it is really important to consider what's right for you. Um, there are supplements that have some really great evidence um, for use, but they need to be used properly and they need to be used alongside a foundation of nutrition. So just as you said, they are the sprinkles on the icing on the cake. So the cake is that foundation of your nutrition. It's, um, you know, looking at all those different pillars of making sure you're getting enough. Number one, energy availability. I can't stress that enough. Make sure you get enough food in. And then you're looking at, you know, the carbs, the protein, the macros and hydration. Then you step it up with this really nice icing that's going to top it off with like looking at how you periodize your nutrition to your training. You're looking at how you're timing it over the day, spacing it over the day, you know, looking at just kind of ramping it up into performance. And then you're like, you know what, I'm nailing this or logistically or, you know, those types of things. I actually need some supplements to help me out. Let's take a quick break. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. I'm going to ask a question here of uh, the ARS framework out of yeah. curiosity since you yeah, were there. One of the ones that I was surprised where it, where it sat was magnesium. Oh, I knew you were going to ask it. I'm like, he's going to ask about magnesium. Yeah, well, because my question is, I'm pretty sure magnesium's pretty well proven to help sleep. Is not it yet. Not? No, is it not? Not yet, no. Um, but also remembering that AIS framework is very sports 
which was going to be the question, which is yeah. where I was going to lead to the question. So it's very specific. Yeah, because yeah. I was going to say, like, if it's my thought process was, well, maybe if it's only proven to help some sleep, mm. technically we know sleep's important, but mm. you can't measure your performance based on how well you slept, I suppose. Mm. And maybe that's where it moved because maybe it's not proven to help objectively improve performance in it gets you an extra rep. It helps you run an extra point one of a second quicker. It helps you that's put on. That's right. Yeah. And also it doesn't have great evidence yet in terms of the cramping claims and muscle soreness and whatnot, which also um, gets some airtime. And so with magnesium, one of the things that, you know, it's not in group A and it's not in group B, it's been relegated, mm. <laughs> delegate, relegated, relegated is the right word, um, to group C, which is hardly any evidence basically the group there. Um, basically also allows you to go, well, what's the pros and cons to taking this, right? So with magnesium as an example, if someone is swearing by magnesium and goes, it absolutely works for me, it is not uncommon for people to be ahead of the science or where the evidence and research is at. I, I really encourage people to still, you know, be open to that, that we can be evidence-based but also safe and um, consider the pros and cons within that personal um, you know, situations. So if you find that magnesium is something you want to trial or that you swear it works for you, don't read that and go, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? What am I wasting my time on? But actually reflect on, has it been a change in my nutrition that's created that placebo effect? And maybe, um, is there a problem of me taking it? Is there a risk of me taking it? Even if it might be a placebo, um, could it be doing me harm? And those types of questions are really important because if you're taking magnesium well and you're not overdoing it in magnesium, you can overdose on magnesium, guys. So if you are getting the runs and if you've got gut upset and you're taking magnesium, just check the dosage. <laughs> um, so that's a really important piece. Um, but, you know, there may not actually be all that much harm in trialing magnesium if it is something that you want to um, work through or you've heard that it works or you've tried everything and you're just really wanting to see if that helps. Like, you know, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a no. It's just we don't have the evidence yet to put it in group A or group B. But uh, but in saying that, if something that helps your sleep, mm. would that find its way on like the AOS frame, framework because it, you can't objectively measure it the would, performance yeah. benefit? Yeah, or? because – yeah, we would definitely still count that as performance improving. Magnesium still got a long way to go to being evidence-based, yeah. but it doesn't mean it's a high-risk supplement either. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah so it's just playing up what it means to you. Yeah, yeah another another, another... Oh, it shocked everyone. We did a whole post on it because when we're releasing the new framework um, on our socials, and, you know, magnesium was in group C. Everyone was in uproar. They took it really personally. I was like, guys, I didn't do this. Like, yeah. It's actually based on research and journals and there's a whole group behind it. So it wasn't just one person going through research. It was actually a collaborative approach of taking on the research, mm. taking on professional um, experience and also then deciding where it fell. So it was a really big process. Actually, one of our employees worked at AIS why they did it and um, she was really helpful in navigating you know, where they're at with that. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Huberman's another one that I, I like listening. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a good one. He He's someone who definitely talks about magnesium um, mm. as part of like his sleep protocols and stuff mm. like that. And yeah, so that was one of the ones that sort of made me go, oh, that's interesting because I thought, yeah. you know, I thought that was one of the main ones. Um, mm. Craig, any, any other questions go on from the supplement side of things? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. We sort of, we've discussed on, on some of our other uh, episodes and and. Travis was just saying this the other day that it's interesting that a lot of these concepts really keep flowing into the different domains of people we talk talk to. Mm -hmm. So one is, you know, if it assessing whether something's whether or not it's doing harm, and if people uh, find that it works from them, you know, there's 
you know, the decision is going to be a personal one. So there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, encouraging people to, to do things that work for them. And we talked about that when we, we explored sort of different branches of allied health. Um, and then even when we spoke to um, a psychology friend about the power of the mind and the placebo and, you know, finding that balance. And interestingly, even rolling back when you were talking about providing permission to have uh, be able to eat whatever you want, it's that whole idea of enabling people to have a little bit of self-efficacy, to have a little bit of belief that they can have a bit of control over of their own outcome and, and help to achieve their goals. So I, I think those those things all sort of link together as people are trying to sort of, you know, stumble their way through the world and, you know, deal with that general being a bit of a mess and, and trying to oh, take a little bit of self-ownership. Yeah, and I think as health professionals, we often do rush into prescription, um, not just prescription in drugs or supplements, like it's prescription in telling people what to do or what they need to do mm. without actually taking the time to listen and hear what they want to do or also what they're ready for as well. Um, we are very much a, oh, I just need to help you and I can help you. And, you know, it, it can backfire where we don't actually meet people where they're at. It's so funny. I was literally doing um, some filming for some content yesterday awesome. and one of the analogies was around this and it was around, uh, you know, the guy I'm working with who was saying he had this client and he was doing everything he could to help him. He was picking him up in his car. The client was 240 kilos. He would pick him up in the car to take him to the gym. He would just solve all these barriers and what he was saying. And then after four days, turns up to the guy's house and the, the curtains are drawn and he's not answering his phone and you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't go. And despite the fact that he'd got rid of all these barriers, he couldn't get to this guy. And he was saying that, you know, one of the things you talk about is the well. You know, if someone's in the well, you don't jump into the bottom of the well, you know, to, to get them out. You, you throw them down a ladder and, and they get themselves out. You know, and it's a very, very interesting that you say that because mm -hmm. literally doing the talk about this yesterday. Yeah. And it's really hard to learn as a helping profession. Mm. It's extremely hard to learn how to actually go, wow, I thought all this time I was client centered, but in actual fact, I was very author uh, like authority over people mm, um, yes. as if I was the expert, but really the person you're working with is the expert in what they're currently going through, what their environment is and what they can achieve. Mm. How do I actually listen to that? And then my role is actually to translate what I know to what might they might be ready for or what they can tolerate right now. Let's take a quick break. Hey, Bar & Grill fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar & Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. Yeah, great. It's really interesting because um, like in the GP world, it, it's so mm -hmm. similar. Uh, one of the things when you're very first um, starting out, uh, a few of the bits of advice I got was it can take, you know, five to 10 years to feel comfortable with anything that comes through the door. So mm. there's been, you know, numerous times where people are coming in and you feel like you are doing nothing for them. You're sitting yeah. there, you're just listening, you're providing reassurance, you're like a deer in headlights. All you're doing is listening out for any of those sort of red flags of something nasty, but they, they bring in things that you haven't even contemplated before. And all you've done is, is be there and listen and provide reassurance without being, you know, strongly prescriptive or telling them what to do. And then they come back a week or two later, they're like, oh, thanks so much for, for you know, taking the time to listen and, you know, give me some reassurance that 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 things are going in the right way it's like oh yeah wow so yeah. sometimes it's you know that idea of just being there to support 
rather mm-hmm. than you know uh, rather than enforcing your own uh, knowledge and, and information on people be there to, to to listen to what they have to say and support them in their own sort of recovery um, one of the little sort of tongue-in-cheek things that I say uh, when I'm sort of teaching um, in environments is, and, and it's it's very much a, a tongue-in-cheek thing to say so you know the goal of medicine is to make the patient someone else's problem and so in the emergency department you know if they need a surgery you make them the surgeon's problem you need this you make them someone else's problem if you're off in the bush in the army you make them you know the helicopter's problem if they need to be evacuated but in gp ideally you make that person their own problem so they can leave and you know if they're a child they're their parents problem but you know they can leave and then they can take some ownership on on solving them you're not there to take on everyone else's problems and fix everyone else's issues you're there to give them the tools and the information and support to be able to you know do it themselves so it's a bit of a funny sort of super horrible thing i love that it, it sounds it really sounds awful, and, doesn't it? It sounds yeah. awful, but when you're actually talking, what you want to do is you, you know, it's if you do stuff for other people, and, and Travis's example is perfect. If you do everything for someone, they will be unable to do anything for themselves, and they will, you know, struggle to to get a sense of self, mm. sense of self satisfaction, and achieve their goals. Yeah, we talk a lot around um, resilience, and in regards to food resilience, it, it's. If you're looking at that definition of what resilience means, I think a lot of people just assume, oh, well, you've got to have a hardness. you just got to survive and get through, and um, that's being resilient. We're in actual fact resilience is action. It's that ability to act with speed and strength at that time of adversity. And adversity can be really small and minor. It could be forgetting to go grocery shopping or getting home late or, you know, running out, like forgetting to pack your snacks around training or whatever it may be. It's how you act on that. But adversity can also be really big, right? It can be injury. It can be illness. It can be mental health. All these types of things can be adversity. And what you want to teach people to do is not be structured and track and have to stick to something and freak out if they don't get aren't able to stick to it you actually want to teach people how to act so what is the best case scenario in that situation how are you going to act with speed and strength in that scenario and so sometimes you're teaching people how to use frozen veggies or you're teaching people how to set up a pantry that actually allows them to cook foods within five minutes Um, you're you know allowing them to make mistakes but you're also there when they fall so that you can work through those challenges and obstacles so next time they have a better option or a better action to take in those moments and so the goal isn't actually compliance the goal is actually resilience and that ability to take action really independently so we talk a lot around graduation here at compete um, because that's the goal we want people to leave with more of themselves and less of us Hmm. every single time i think um what will that's probably a great way to sign off on today's episode but i think um there's so many more things that we're going to dive into and i think we'll definitely be uh, inviting you back to chat about a few things but before we do sign off, you, you just mentioned right there was Compete. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. What What is Compete? Yeah, well, we we created it by accident. It's probably what you need to know it's first the best of way, all. The best way for a business to come about. <laughs> um, we just thought we were solving a problem for us that where I left the AIS, started a family, and, you know, I had the option of career being like we'd moved to a country town in Foster. So I ran out of elite athletes and was like, oh, what's our options now? Like, what do I do? And I could go work in an aged care facility or hire out a room in a GP clinic or physio. And that was really the professional options that I had um, once I'd left that bubble, which was AIS. And my hubby was just like, that is not okay. Like you just spent years at the pinnacle of your career, building that up to then take that many steps back to do 
nothing related to that doesn't seem fair just because we moved from my job and we started a family. <clears throat> and so we started playing around with ideas on, you know, with nutrition, with behaviour change, there isn't a need for me to be with someone in a consult room you know, touchy-feely. Like nutrition is one of those things where I'm better off being with them when problems arise, when environment this needs to be set up or they're having challenges. And so we started playing around with technology in about 2016, very early days. By 2017, we were told that we were a tech startup. And then it's kind of been all go from there where um, we're really aiming to be there. When we're talking around making changes and making, you know, progress, it relies on safety. So if someone's feeling like this, that's too much of a risk to take or there's too many friction pieces to making that happen, we will generally as humans not want to make changes or don't, not feel safe enough to make change. So we aim there to be there with the person when things happen or as they need us. Um, and so it's an access piece through an app, um, but you're accessing your dietitian through the app alongside all the support tools to make those behavior changes feel easier and more enjoyable. So your app looks different for everyone. Sometimes it's a menu. Sometimes it's a you know basic shopping list. Sometimes it's really habit-based focus. Sometimes it's a combination of all those things alongside event planning. But the biggest key is actually the dietitian behind you to navigate, to counsel, to help you with that behavior change and translation into your life and removing that consult where previously it was like, hey, great to chat. Hopefully I'll see you in a couple of weeks, but here's a piece of paper to work on, you know, in the meantime. Bye. So yeah, we'll remove that. It's so amazing that, uh, you know, I was going to ask you on the timelines of this because yeah. this is a lot of stuff people have realized in the last 18 months. And, yeah. uh, you know, for you to just be that little bit ahead of the curve there is probably set you in really good stead because when uh, I suppose a lot of those you know dietitians and stuff were still open, but uh, you know as like essential health services and stuff like that. But but to be that little bit of a head head of the trend to be doing uh, to be able to offer this service virtually um, mm. is is really good. So you know congratulations on that. If people want to um, find yeah, out more, they can just get search. Contact, um... what, what's the way to do it? Yeah, our app's free to download. So if you're one just to even want to explore recipes and just have a play, um, just search Compete, C-O-M-P-E-A-T, Nutrition in your app store, Android or Apple, um, and it'll come up. And then if you are like, oh, I'd love some more help or I'd love to, you know, work with one of our dietitians, including Kirsten, who's um, introduced us, um, you can actually upgrade from there and start working alongside. But the biggest thing is, yes, it's a subscription so that you can have your dietitian whenever you need. But there are no lock-ins, no pressure, no minimums, because the whole goal, as we've talked about, is for you to leave, is for you to graduate um, off needing us. So, yeah, it's been really fun to explore, lots still to do, um, but a really nice change and really cool to see um, just a new model of healthcare start to emerge from all of this chaos that has been the last two years. Love it. And well, where, do we, uh, where do we listen more to your knowledge and and exploring oh. all things around nutrition is there any other any other avenues we can access yeah i talk a lot uh so <laughs> content's not our issue um so we've got our own podcast called the compete waffle um we adore chatting to all types of people walks of life but alongside that um i do a lot of features on all things nutrition not just sports nutrition but really identifying the performance is relative to everyone. Everyone wants to perform, whether it's in home or work or sport, whatever it may be. Um, and then also very active on our socials, particularly Instagram. So um, we're just compete underscore nutrition on there. So yeah, looking forward to having you all join us.
Absolutely awesome, awesome Alicia. Strongly recommend the podcast. Um, had had plenty of listens. I'm thinking of trying to steal some of your guests. You got some good ones on there. So <laughs> that's the best way. To, that's best. That's the best way to get podcast guests is, is listen to someone else's podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, um, guys, thank you so much, Alicia. We're definitely inviting you back. Hopefully, you'll come and join us, Craig. Again, thank you for your time today. Uh, hope everyone's enjoyed this episode of Bro Science with Alicia Edge. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.